wait for it wait for it and we're live hey all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the blasters and blades podcast just a couple of nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies a place where magic is king the sky is the limit and space is the place we are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction so without further ado oh, yeah. before we, yeah we are it's mostly nick but you know sometimes i carry the water uh, but before we dive into the topic, which if you read the title, you already know, but pretend you're surprised when we talk about it, uh, we're going to let our guests introduce themselves. And today, I'm going to pretend I know how to read, and we're going to go in alphabetical order. Mr. Jacob Hollow, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Hi, um, Jacob Hollow. I uh, write uh, science fiction, occasionally fantasy, um, best known for uh, co-authoring the uh, Gordon Division series with uh, David Weber. All right. Some people might have heard of David Weber. He's kind of a new guy, but he's, he's getting there. I think, I think he's going to land, and when he does, he'll be a star. Oh, yeah. He's growing in popularity. I see him being a big star. Absolutely. All right. We have James, sometimes known as J.E. Pittman, only to the cool folks, though, and his friend Felix. Hey, guys. James here. Uh, J.E. Pittman's where you can find my works. I write Darkly cozy urban fantasy, mostly with a Felix Chance series, but I also write science fiction and fantasy. Uh, I've been in a few anthologies uh, pertinent to today's discussion, uh, one called Hidden Villains Arise. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if I know what I'm talking about. Probably not. If fake until you make it. And last, but certainly not least, we have International Man of Mystery, Hitman to the Stars, Mr. Matthew W. Quinn. Oh, thank you. How oh, I find that out? Tell you that. I'm sorry, people. Pretend you didn't hear that. I know nothing. Nick, you heard nothing. <laughs> All right, Matt. Can you introduce yourself? All right. Well, I'm Matthew W. Quinn, author of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Most of my success has been in horror, based in Atlanta, Georgia. Hotlanta. Okay. Hotlanta. Uh, I went through there uh, on my way to uh, the School for Wayward Boys. Uh, we stopped at Atlanta Airport. It was interesting. Um, I ran the, the Peachtree Marathon, too. Nick, did you mm. run that one in 05? No. No, I didn't even live in Atlanta in 05. I was at the University of Georgia. Okay. Nick and I were, uh, were in a desert far, far away, but they cleared a minefield, and they stuck a, a satellite version of the Peachtree race in the middle of the minefield. In theory, it was cleared. I don't know if they told us that just to mess with our heads. I do know that the race director threw a rock and something went boom, but that could have been like staged looking back on it. But I will tell you, everyone was shocked that their times were not as good as normal. I suspect it's because they couldn't cheat because they didn't know if they were going to run into a mine. Right. I don't know why. I've never run that bad before. It's because you've never run in a minefield before. Yeah. Then that would make you run faster. Faster, yes, but people that are used to cutting corners and, and you know, the turn 90 degrees, they'll kind of cut the 45 and shave some steps off. That all adds up over time if you're doing yeah. a street race. I think that's just something they told you so you wouldn't shave those corners. I suspect you're right. At the time, I was young and exhausted, and I believed them. So, I mean, you know, 22-year-old Sergeant Hanley was a lot different person than, you know, 40-something me. So, yeah. Anyway, all right, so the reason we're all here today is because everyone talks about the villain, I mean, the good guys, and their hero's arc and all of that nonsense, but no one ever thinks about the career arc of a villain. So let's start off with what does everyone define a villain as? I know Nick's going to, like, quote Wreck-It Ralph in a little bit, but for now, we're going we're gonna to go. So what's a villain for everyone? Jacob, you want to start us off? <sighs> I mean, <clears throat> I basically, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's the, like, uh, I kind of just summarize it as the antagonist, you know, um, the, the, the force that the, uh, the, the good guys are up against, um, you know, really keep it that simple. Okay. Fair. The old line, one man's heroes and other man's villains. So I think Part of that is, you're right, it's going to be dependent on the social mores. So uh, I imagine there you could you could configure any scenario where what we would consider normal makes you the bad guy. Like, 
If yeah, you, that's one of the guy that, I think of is uh, everyone is a villain. You know, someone always says uh, they're the hero of their own story. Well, everyone's a villain in somebody's story. Yeah, it's usually me. That's, that's a good way to put it. I'm a villain in at least three people's stories. I know that. Some people are the villain of their own st- Some people are the villain of their own story, too. Yeah, I could probably relate to that. Pinky and the brain, they were always they were always good for villainy. Would the brain count as a villain protagonist? I would yeah. say so. So his antagonist would be Pinky? I would say they were co-conspirators. Well, Pinky was always uh, foiling Brain's plans, whether he knew it or not. He played it off as being stupid. He, he could have been, uh, you know, a hero in disguise. Possible. Deep cover agent. Yep. Yeah. So generically, so, so deep, he didn't even realize he was an agent. <laughs> Those are the deepest of agents. <laughs> so the dictionary says a villain is a character whose evil actions or motives are important to the plot. But I would say evil is subjective, and I'm not one of those, you know, that wants to say nothing is real and everything is subjective. There is definitely right and wrong, you know, black and white lines, but those lines are determined by our society. And I could envision societies where what we would consider good behavior is bad. So you give a society on a planet where overpopulation is rampant and they're literally one birth away from exhausting the food supply. Making a baby is bad. Take that same person and put them on a planet struggling from societal collapse and making a baby, that makes you the hero. Uh, and it's all subjective to to your reality and you know cultural norms. Well, it also depends on what uh, you know context you're talking about. Um, if we're talking like strictly in media, you know, a villain could just be your snidely whiplash type to foil against the hero just the guy literally just twirling the mustache and doing the commonly perceived bad thing for only plot purposes essentially Uh, i go tie somebody to the train tracks today right exactly it's like oh it's three o'clock a guy tie somebody to the train tracks 305 is coming the hero will be here at 302 so in you know, to quote quote my favorite Texan, Nick, sometimes the defense is they just needed killing. So sometimes they just need killing. Sometimes they just need to kill him. <clears throat> so do you think and you see a lot of that, you know, the villain for villainy's sake? It always feels flat to me. Like in superhero comics, for instance, the bad guys are just bad and the good guys are just bad good, and I get it. But generally well, speaking, you want you want more complex and nuanced. So well, depends the idea on the superhero is, comic, there's always Magneto. Yeah, go on. Yeah, Magneto's a good idea out. Magneto thinks he's the hero. A lot of he good villains in his the hero. Yeah, well, but he's, yeah, I mean, um, I think a lot of uh, really good villains believe they're the hero. I mean, it's it's the rare person who wakes up in the morning and says, "Oh, I am now part of the omni veracity of evil," and this this is where I want my place to be. It's like, no, I'm. I, I think you know the most interesting villains, at least for me are the ones that do really bad things for what they think are a good purpose, what right. they think are a good purpose. Yeah, and, the, you, know, um, you know, ends justify the means villains. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that, you know, the most of the really interesting villains see themselves as, as heroes. Um, in fact, when, when Dave and I were working on the, the first Gordian Division novel, uh, The Gordian Protocol, I did most of the work on the villains there, and I wrote, I specifically wrote them um, from the perspective that they are tragic heroes, and they're up against this madman with a time machine, and no matter what they do and what they throw at him, they can't stop him. So, madman with a time machine, the the doctor. <laughs> he, he's a professor, but yeah. <laughs> but he's not cool because he doesn't have a bow tie. Uh, no, that that he does not have a bow tie. That character does not have a bow tie. Does he, he have, have a fez? fez? Fezes are cool. He, he, does, he, does, <laughs> he does not have a fez either. Or a really oh. awesome leather jacket. <laughs> no, you know he, that that particular character does get a uh, a militarized synthetic body 
if, if that counts as cool. That um, is he, cool. he goes he goes from a scrawny, short, scrawny guy to basically a blonde Conan the Barbarian. So cybernetic Captain America? Something like that, yeah. Where do I sign up for that? Yeah. <laughs> <Very> bad. <clears throat> Does his knees and back hurt? Because if they don't, then I'm in. I mean, I could buy a bad guy as a bad guy because they had good health care. Yeah. I don't really want to destroy San Diego today, but Cobra offers health insurance. <laughs> they, yeah. You know, I've seen that in a few anime, actually. That, you have that, 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 organization, Inc., and it's like they have a really good benefits plan. That's yeah. probably a lot of how you get a lot of the henchmen. Yes. Totally. I think One I month saw leave, shirts along vacations. those. I think I saw a shirt along those lines. It was a Star Wars shirt, and it said, come to the dark side. We have cookies. Yep. <laughs> I love that shirt. <laughs> then you get there, they have waffles, too. Cookies yeah. and waffles. <laughs> uh, waffles, you have me, sir. Well, let's do this. What, where are we burning? Um, yeah. So we, we've kind of established what is a villain. Do you think how they came to be matters and... and I'll give you an example. I think it was Batman's Mr. Freeze where he was just trying to save his wife and turned kind of bad. I, then he you falls have, into a, a category of like sympathetic villains. Yes. Right. But then you have some that are just evil for evil, evil's sake. Like, <clears throat> Joker. Yeah, some are just yeah. unhinged. Yeah, the, yeah. the Joker. And to go with the X-Men analogy, Magneto has a sympathetic backstory and half the time he's not even a villain anymore. And Mr. Sinister just likes Mr. to play Sinister. God of people's genetics. They got Thanos, Tucker, oh well. Thanos is just, you know, courting death. Literally. Yeah, in the comics. He yep. he was a little bit more of a well in the MCU, he was uh, he was like thought he was doing the right thing by any means necessary. You know, he thought he was doing right. everybody a favor. The whole overpopulation thing, snap half half the universe to save everything. Yeah. Life populates, so like you might as well just you know, expand the resources, but that's where Thanos got it wrong. Yeah. But comics version Thanos, yeah, he's literally just courting death and chewing yeah. scenery along the way. And you're bad guy for bad guy's sake half the time. Yeah. I know there's and a... He had, the, he had the Thanos copter. Yeah, yeah he, he did have the Thanos it. copter. Didn't that make a, an appearance in Loki? I don't... If it was in the second season, I haven't seen it so that up. yeah so we've talked about that but do you think the origin matters or are you, do you think it's better just to have the um the villain just appear and he's sort of already there without caring where he came from well it depends if you're, on which villain you're going for if you're I going mean, for the sympathetic villain yes the origin matters if you're going for the mustache chewing villain no if you're going for the i'm the hero in my own eyes villain probably or not even the origin but more like the rationale so or just at least the, what you're going for yeah going um, on that the steps that made that villain think that he was the hero why did he come to that conclusion that he had to do how did he get to, to this point where you yeah. think you know if we eliminate all half of all life in the universe things will go on hunky-dory right that kind of thing well if, if not, not even whether you want them to be sympathetic or not do you want them to be a developed character or not True. I mean, who yeah. developed? I mean, who gets really into the backstory of henchmen very much? Except for you know, there's a couple of comics or books where that's a title, hench. Right. But you know, someone who's not a spear carrier needs more development. There's one I really like in uh, Serenity, the operative Schweidel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. His, it's kind his, of a mystery. Yeah, he's the he's not the hero of a story. He's thinking he's doing the good thing but will not receive the rewards like no i am pure evil i'm just making yeah. this thing happen that i believe should happen i will not benefit from it i'm a tool yeah, he, he flat out says it yeah he flat out says it. he's a, a tool for the creation of this you know utopia but you know his motivation is just purely he's doing evil to do evil to make a good thing happen yeah so if you're doing evil with the end result that's good are you truly evil or is your are your actions evil? Where is the line? Now we're getting to morality, but let's do it. That's based on your moral compass. Mm -hmm. Okay, one of the things that I really enjoy about villains, one, they should always be more interesting than the hero. That's just what I believe. 
um, because your villain is going to make your protagonist better. That's supposed to be the whole thing, the hero's journey. Well, you got to have a good villain for that. So um, you can do the the uh, villain that's a complete mystery. You can have the sympathetic villain. Um, you can have all these other archetypes, um, but they have to be just a little bit more interesting than the hero because they're the one that puts the hero into play. So or if the hero, yeah, you know, it's just there's there's so many things you can dive into with the villain, um, you know, that matches with the protagonist or the hero. So it's like you got to it's a weird little combination that you got to you got to work through before you start putting pen to paper fingers to keys you know so did you have anything to add to that matt it looked like you're about to join in not at the moment okay so there's something to be said that the the better the villain the better the hero for instance it has been argued by some that study ancient history that some of the people that the romans were fighting might have been nobody tribes in reality but they hyped it up to the point where it confused the historical record so, like, uh, when they beat Hannibal at Carthage, yes, he had been a great warrior. Obviously, Kane and all the other battles show that. But by the time he got to the Battle at Carthage, some have argued his forces were depleted and he was essentially a broken man. But they kept hyping him up because it made the Roman victory even sweeter. You could see that playing up in books that if you want your hero to be, you know, cooler than cool, then he can't just beat, you know, the bad version of Dudley Do-Right. It has to be, you know the bad version of, well, I guess Hitler's already bad, but like something to that level, you got to take it up another level, right? An obstacle to overcome. Yes. Right. Like the big boss instead of just a, a mini boss. Everybody seen Megamind? No. Yes. It's like the media would hype him up to be this like just worthwhile villain for uh, whatever the, the hero's name was. I forgot, but you know, but it comes to find out. Captain like, Hammer, the wrong one. Was it? No, Captain Hammer was Dr. Horrible. Sing along. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I haven't seen Mega Mind. My understanding isn't the hero the villain. Yeah, because the hero decides, I don't want to do this anymore, and he just he fakes his own death. He fights like, Mega, Mind. Mega Mind fights Metro Man. Metro Man. Hello, people of Metrocity. You know, but you come to find out that this villain that the media and all that hyped up, he's, he's a bumbling idiot, you know. So they needed they needed somebody that can match the hero. So they they amped them up. Okay. So, so that falling to the misunderstood villain with people putting propaganda out there to change yeah. him, change the villain, change their motives, change their difficulty level, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it fit right in there. You know, just because he bad guy doesn't mean he bad guy. I told you, Wreck It Ralph. Quote. Well, he told me I couldn't do it in the beginning, so I found my spot and I took it. <laughs> oh. That's what you do best. That's that's what they pay me for. That's why I make the small bucks. I mean, I thought it was for a pretty face, but you know, whatevs. Um, so we've what do you guys think make a good tropes within the, the realm of villainy when you're creating your evil ne'er do wells? Well, there are um I, I guess two very broad categories of villains when, when I'm designing a villain. Um, as I said, I have a, uh, um, a, a soft spot for the, the villain who is in his or her mind trying to, you know, do, do something that, you know, thinks they're doing good, but is willing to go to extremely evil means to achieve that. But on the other hand, there are the, the villains that are just designed to be love to hate, that they're just so despicable and so irredeemable that they're designed, you know, for the reader to, to hate this character. And uh, and so that when when that that character finally gets the, you know, the comeuppance he or she deserves. The reader's like, yes. Yeah. I, I watched, <laughs> yeah. What, or, or Littlefinger. I was with a group of people and, you know, Sansa's like, how do you plead, Lord Baelish? Everyone just starts screaming. You know, he's about to get it now. Yeah, they, they had some really love-to-hate villains in that series. Yeah, Littlefinger's definitely one. When it finally came his time, I was like, yeah. 
Okay. And Joffrey. Or, Ram- or awesome. Ramsey Bolton, you know, who let the dogs out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't die on us, Nick. Don't die. So. Uh, try not to. I, for me, like, I tend to write mill sci-fi where, you know, the bad guy is the other side. And you could just as easily in those instances write a story from the other side point of view, why they're the good guy and the other side, because it's so situational. I would hazard a guess that anyone in, uh, you know, World War One German army would say the French and the English and the Americans were the bad guys, right? You could tell that same story, hero arc, from either side, and it would equally work with the facts on the ground. And so you don't have to think as much about origin <laughs> stories. At that point in time, the bad guy becomes the, you know, the the corrupt politicians as the, the bad guy is a concept more than an individual person. Do you prefer that when you have the idea where it's the everyman and then the bad guy is just the people at the top? Or do you like it when you get like comic book level, the baddie is the bad? Well, any of y'all ever read the sharp books? Yes. Hakes will. Yes. He's an ordinary soldier. He's also the, one of the biggest, nastiest jerks ever. He was the sergeant who tortured people and then robbed them and talked to his mother in his hat, if you watched the show version instead, who couldn't die. They tried to kill him a couple times and even hung him twice. So, well, that's the other trope yeah, that you... Since you yeah, because, I mean, if you've got the Napoleonic Wars, you have this megalomaniac who tries to conquer all of Europe, and you have the British, but then you have, at the low, low level, you know, Hakesville, the douchebag. Yeah, but... I believe uh, that was his uh, his official name. Yeah. Napoleon couldn't have happened without the context of the larger um, French Revolution. So he was more a product of the times than necessarily the bad guy. He was the stabilizing force for a period, and then he became something else. But Homeboy just didn't know when to quit. Yeah. But that you mentioned back to the Sergeant in, in the Sharps series by um, Cromwell, I think is how you say the author's Bernard name. Bernard Cornwell. Cornwell, there we go. Cornwell. I knew there was a C in there and some Wells involved as well. But he actually the wrote British. that. Yeah, the British. You know, it's, eh, you just stick your nose in the air and pinky out and you're good. Um, yes, Tim, we're talking to you. Um, you could get away with like that character was in addition to being the bad guy. He was also kind of slightly touched in the head. He was a little insane. I actually think sometimes, you know, a broken person who becomes insane could be a good bad guy. You end up the ultimate extreme of that would be Joker. But there are varying degrees along the way to get you there. As president of all of Batman's Rose Gallery. Yeah, they're all. That's one thing I will say about the Batman franchise. They did a really good job of making their evil villains real. It wasn't just this mustache twirling, twirling, whatever. Like, they felt real to me. Yeah, when... uh, um... I guess it was in the late 60s, early 70s when it was uh, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Um, so that's when the, the villains really got some um, substance to them. You know, before that, they were all just mustache twilling insane people that just wanted to do evil stuff. One dimensional foils. So, yeah. Yeah. That's why I rely on Mr. Pittman here to help me with the words that I don't know. I can describe them. But I don't know. But yeah, he's absolutely right, though. You know. So if we were going to all of us, you know, wave our creative magic wand and take some of these one-dimensional villains and flesh them out, who would you choose to start with? Skeletor. Oh, totally. Yes. I can see that one. I Jacob think in laughing. some of the animated ones, they do. He's the he's the king's brother. I haven't watched the anime the the new ones the, the ones that are on Netflix. Oh, hold on. Are they going to let me let me show that on Solo Lab so you can show it. Yeah, that's some nice art. The original. I don't want to feel good. I want to feel evil. <laughs> oh wow, you can mimic the voice really well. I didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> if I was going to flush out um, yeah. some confused and, and sort of one dimensional bad guys, I might like to see the Jedi flushed out a little bit. As villains, I mean, they kidnap kids. They're terrorists. It's a cult, man. Come on, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just messing with you, Nick. I mean, um, that's why I'm I think, it's a different cult, but we hate each other. 
I think a lot of the cartoons that we grew up with, you know, this a lot of the villains in those were like if you look at Inspector Gadget, the dude with the Mr. Claw. I mean, come on, Mr. Claw, yeah, Dr. Claw. Thank you. Dr. Claws, I'm sure he did not spend six years at evil medical school to be known by as Mr. Oh, you beat me by <laughs> half a second, Matthew. That's, that's, that was loaded in the chamber, ready to go. It's like I didn't spend six years in evil medical school just to be called Mr. So, uh so James and Matt, uh, what are what would you uh, of all the franchises you've enjoyed, but you felt like the villains fell flat? Which one would you like to improve? Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, just kind of go to any of your '80s uh, toy-driven cartoons. You know that that's that's one that's just like very rich ground there. I mean, Ninja Turtles did a great job with a lot of theirs, but I mean, you know, Shredder could always use more depth, more development, yeah. his backstory. That's one I would love to tackle personally. Now the Decepticons, maybe something Go besides on. annoying Starscream. Go on, I you think, have I think the Michael Bay movies. The Decepticon, Decepticons, and Autobots were split over what to do about an alien invasion of Cybertron after they chase the aliens off. Megatron wanted to finish them and Optimus Prime figured they should rebuild the planet. But I don't remember in the cartoon, I just remember bad robots. That was basically it. Okay. Um, yeah, I could see that. I, I think a lot of the 80s and the 90s, the bad guys were kind of not very well flushed out. Um I think you could argue the big bad, the overarching bad guy of the government in um, the A team. They never really said why they were framed and what that whole backstory was. It was just a thing that happened as the premise to make the rest of it happen. And I felt like the series would have been better if they could have flushed that out. It would have been more gritty, less campy. Although, like I, I get it, campy was the lay of the land back then, but. So, any others we think we could expand? Um, you were on the GI Joe episode, not me. Didn't they give the Baroness more of a backstory? I, I don't think they did as much. I think that was one of the complaints. I think her backstory was just that she was pretty. Because I remember something about her brother, who was a humanitarian aid worker, who was killed by what she thought was the American government. Only it turns out he wasn't. When Nick gets back, he had to uh, go handle something with his router. Uh, we will have to ask him. Nick, is that what we're calling it now? There's my bladder. Sorry. <laughs> I, I was trying to make you sound more professional, but we'll go with that then, old man. Nah, uh, they know Baroness. I'm not. Bladder. I had to pee. Baroness, was she? Did they end up giving her a backstory? Because in some of the the versions you see, she didn't really have one. In, in the cartoon, no. Um, in a lot of the. I'd say later comics because they didn't really tackle much of that in the beginning. They tackled a lot of stuff given some of these characters' backgrounds. Um, but yeah, her, I think it was that her brother was a humanitarian aid worker. And uh, okay. well, Matt was right. Um, there was something the Joes were involved in nearby and it killed the brother, I think. I don't know. Directly it's been a or lateral or something like that? Yeah, it's like he wasn't a target or anything. He just happened to be. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, story of my life. So yeah, maybe. I well, if it's know. later, then I guess maybe they're trying to avo go avoid the mustache twirling trend because I vaguely remember Cobra Commander was a used car salesman or something. Yeah, or uh, he sold copy or, machines or something like that. He was like a sleazy dude, or just Castro, like who was just like there to choose scenery a lot, and they tried to give him more of a a complex backstory, but they just Fell flat. Yeah, wasn't he a Scottish yeah, nobleman or something? Yeah, Someone that's what it was. And he was punished by wearing the mask of his family. Yeah. But like the mask was animated, even though it was supposed to be like metal. Supposed to be like the man in the iron mask, but Yeah. That but I'm like, why is his mouth moving? Why is he blinking? Yeah, Destro is not the uh the and then when they try to flush him out, like over the movies and stuff like that. It was like these, he's an international arms dealer. Like, well, you guys are known to sell to anybody and you like seem pretty loyal to this guy, you know? So I don't know. I think that's like the trend over the last, I don't know, 
probably 20, 25 years is we had these one dimensional villains that were nothing more than an evil lampshade <laughs> and they tried to flush them out, you know, and the Baroness being a sexy lampshade fleshing her out. Um, so I think, I mean, you can go even beyond the comics and cartoons and go international with the Daleks. They were just glorified salt yeah. shakers. And then they yeah. gave them. The and then they start traveling through time. But aren't they still, you know, the whole kill everyone Nazi types? Yeah, but they're not scary. I think villains kind of at some level, they need to be scary. Well, and then there's like scary by physical appearance, you know, like um, Killer Croc and Batman. Yeah, he's a giant croc humanoid with and all that's from a bad skin condition. So Yeah, threatening by you know, appearance that, or just threatening period, like menacing that kind of unease you don't feel safe around this entity. This like you know, projects onto your own psyche that something like this could be hiding in the shadows. That the yeah, the deep dark. Yeah, formidable. I think it's frankly. I like that. That way that gives some room for relativism. I mean, you could take relativism too far, obviously, but I think yeah. formidable allows room for nuance. That's the word we'll use, nuance. So you're throwing uh, a lot of big words at me, GIR. I'm gonna have to take them as disrespect. <laughs> so uh we're about ready to show that beautiful bean footage commercial, but uh when you get if you're over there on the um the audio only platform. We would like to know, join the poll. Do you think villains need to be scary? Uh, and there's an open-ended question of who your favorite villain is. You could join the discussion. And if you're following us anywhere else, there's a comment section, and you could just tell us stuff. We like hearing your Drop stuff. Drop it in the comments, yo. Drop it in the comments. Drop it like it's hot. What? Like it's hot. I think I just showed my age. So instead, we're going to air that commercial, and I'll try not to die of cringe. <laughs> Across a thousand battlefields and a million wars, there is always a question. What do you do when all the chips are on the table? Do you run? Try to find salvation in the arms of an easy peace? Or do you stand and fight and send your enemies into whatever hole they crawled out of? On Deadly Ground, a heroic Last Stand anthology has ten stories addressing that question. Each character faces the impossible in different ways, but all will be tested before the day is done. Can they earn a heroic victory amongst the endless eternity of space, or are they doomed to fall into obscurity? So that made me think that I definitely need to um, to do. So that was a heroic last stands. Um, anthology is a lot of fun. We made our editor cry with our emotionally moving story. Uh, I definitely think we need to do an anthology. An anthology. I can speak uh, about the origin of a villain. That could be an interesting collection of short stories. Yeah, we could make some beautiful magic happen. That might be of interest. I have a um, kind of by the wayside novella that's kind of the origin story of the villain Grendel from my um, Battle for the Wasteland series. Nice. Okay, I do. I do enjoy the. Uh, are you talking about Grendel? Is in the ancient story? No, in my in my book Battle for the Wastelands, the villain is a Scandinavian warlord, and that's what he calls himself. That would scare That's me. a powerful name. So, yeah. Evocative even. not the name he was born with. So as we, you know, jump back into the topic of villains, does anybody have a favorite villain? Scarecrow. Go on. Expand. Explain. Um, his whole deal was fear. And I remember growing up, I was afraid of freaking everything, including my own shadow. Um, okay. I kind of resonated with him uh, because he was more of a psychological villain as more as compared to uh, some of the other rogues gallery where they could match Batman physically. Um, what he did is he like talk about a broken psyche, not just scarecrows, but Batman's whole mind is messed up from the murder of his parents. You know, that's why he became the bat because that scared him as a child. He wanted his enemies to fear, you know, have his dread and all that. So scarecrow was always able to least kind of, hit Batman and get him limping with the fear toxin because he didn't have to do anything. He just had to hit him with the gas. And then Batman did the majority of the work for him, you know, until he was broken. And then that got used later on in the Court of Owls series, even though Scarecrow wasn't in it. Well, he was kind of in it. He was Arkham at the time. But the Court of Owls, 
used the fear toxin and then did some more stuff to it to break Batman down psychologically even further. So he's, he's either the main villain that's messing Batman up, you know, mentally, or he's the, you know, he's the, the base or the inspiration when someone else messes up Batman like that, you know, it, I just thought he was always a, an interesting character. You know. like, like I said before, Batman gave us a lot of good villains. What about you, Jacob? Who is your favorite villain? You can use so, ones that David has written. We won't hold it against you. So my favorite villain of all time. And and yes, I, I, I do like a lot of David's uh, villains. Um, but uh, my favorite villain of all time is from the uh, the game uh, Xenoblade. Okay. Uh, and it is uh, Egil. And um, so Egil is essentially waging a genocidal war against the Homs, which are the humans of the setting. And there's a point in, in the game where the, the party confronts him about this, like, why, why are you trying to, to kill us? We, we want to live in you know peace. And, you know, and he's like, I'm, you know, why do you hate humans? And it's like, I don't, you know, and, and the, uh, the big reveal is that, what he's trying to do is to starve his real enemy because when the real enemy wakes up, it's going to consume all the, the life that uh, exists around it. And so the humans are just food for his real enemy. He's trying to starve it. And so he's doing an incredibly evil thing, but he's trying to stop a greater evil. And that's really interesting <laughs> to me. For the better good. Well, he's also committing genocide, which is but for the better good. You know, that's how he, I, I assume that's how he's rationalized. Like I'm doing this, yeah, this, yeah, this up thing. But really, man, I'm, it's, there's some self-preservation going on here. I don't want to get eaten. You know, I don't want this thing to eat me. But yeah, uh, Egil from from Xenoblade is uh, my favorite villain of all time. That's a game. I gotta play that. That's so, a fantastic story. I'll write that down in the show notes. People can check it out. What about you, um, Pittman? What do you think is your favorite villain? Uh, that's a tough one. You know, I've been debating between, you know, the entire Batman rogues gallery or Skeletor or Shredder or, you know, any of the nostalgia favorites. But I kind of came on this, this idea. I was thinking about it before the show. One of the most well-rounded, most interesting and complex villains that I really enjoy seeing the main character go up against again and again uh, in Dresden Files, Marcone. Gentleman Johnny Marcone. Gangster, uh, Chicago. Uh, he eventually becomes the Baron in the supernatural terms, but... He's this human. He has this sympathetic, relatable backstory, and his he has an honor about the way he goes about his business. But uh, it's it's one of the things you never it's never been fully defined yet. But it's always consistent, and you know where you stand with Marcone. Like even when they're working, when Dresden's working with Marcone. Uh, it's a an honorable villainy and an honorable rivalry, which I just I don't know why I like that so much, but I do. Like I for villain villains, yeah, sure, give me a mustache twirling, you know, easy to read. But for something complex and give me uh, something to chew on mentally, yeah, Marcone. Okay, and. Um... What about you, um, Matthew? Okay, well, um, in, the, in the new Battlestar Galactica, I like Leoben, you know, a machine intellect that believes in God and maybe a legitimate prophet. Like, God may be real and talking to him. Okay. And in the new, the Cinder Spires book by you brought Dresden, the Cinder Spires series is his other series, well, one of them. It's like a kind of steampunky. Um, Madam Cavendish. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the, entry. yeah, it's like a psychic sorceress who's obsessed with decorum 
who can mind control the monsters of the surface world in this like kind of future earth death world thing. She's okay. So I don't know for me, I, maybe it's cause it's one of the first um, real, you know, chapter books I remember reading, but the, the one eyed God Torak from the Belgaria series by David Eddings. Oh yeah. Um, so I think that was, I mean, that was my first where they actually, you know, my problem with children's book is they treat you like you're a moron. Uh, we don't write tend to write um, children's books where we assume agency of the kid. Uh, and so this was my first time reading a book where it wasn't like I felt like speaking down to me, obviously because it was intended for adults. But so that sticks out for me, I think, um, as it goes. But uh, I will have in the show notes some of the uh, some of the various um, characters we referenced in the uh, hashtag. So if you want to use that to find other things, be our guest. Uh, we would like that, obviously. Um, if you have questions about um, favorite villains we didn't mention, obviously, um, you could comment that as well. Um, if we had to pick favorites, obviously, but I, I almost said Vader because it's also near and dear to our heart because he was human, human but inhuman because it was always pretty clear there was a human under there somewhere. Um, so that would have been my second choice was Darth Vader. Well, he's kind of like the archetype at this point for a certain class of villain more than vader himself he's kind of you know superseded his origin and just become even when they met they reference it in dresden files it's like that vader turn moment where you have the villain turn and become your ally and then all of a sudden the thing that's been scaring you the entire time is actually on your side and it's kind of like one of those chilling moments that you can really it's kind of like a Hmm, how you put it? One of those golden moments you really hope for in something you write. It's like I want this kind of, you know, emotional moment where it just really hits home. Yeah. Okay. I like that. So do you have we've talked about favorite villains outside of that? Do you have a favorite villain you've created? And we're going to let Matthew go first, since you've talked about Grendel before. Is he your favorite, or have you made others? Um, probably my favorite villain, if, if, because a lot of what he rolls on is rule of cool. Like, he was inspired when I was in high school and saw Highlander. Ooh. So update the Kurgan's medieval outfit for an arrow wars are fought with guns. Like, it's more right. like a brig... Like, his outfit, like, his outfit is more like a brigandine, like sort of an armored trench coat. Nice. He still has the tiger helmet, but he has an M16. Interesting combination. About what about you, Pittman? Got a favorite villain you've created? You've made so many. Uh, I have made a lot. Um, Felix is one. I'm joking. You may or may not be. Depends on whose story you're asking. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the uh, Necrobot Spiders in Pandora Squad. Just because up front they seem really obvious villain. We're here to fight these giant reanimated spider husks and just blow them up. Great. Oh, wait, they have tragic origin story. And they're musical. Oh, damn. They're getting deep now. So it, it's been fun to explore that and take what seems to be a one-dimensional thing and you know, really flesh it out in the, the latter half of this book. <laughs> okay. What about you, Jacob? Who's your favorite villain that you've created? So favorite villain that I've created I is a character who has appeared in almost all of the Gordian Division books. Uh, and it is uh, Jonas Shigeki, who is the son of the primary antagonist in the first book, uh, his uh, father, uh, director of the Department of Temporal Intel uh, Investigation, uh, Saba Shigeki. So Jonas um, is a, uh, he's kind of an oily snake. He's a manipulator um, and he's very good at it. And when you see him in the first book, uh, he's responsible for events that end up, that result in one of the main characters having his, his original body get mulched and turned into fertilizer. And then his, his mind is 
eventually saved by his AI companion and poured over into a synthetic body. Um, and uh, so not a whole lot. I don't think many readers like Jonas the first time that you know, they, they meet him. Um, and then in the, the, the second book, um, the two sides are essentially through circumstances have to work together. And Jonas is again being a snake. Um, but then you realize that he's manipulating things for an outcome that the heroes want this time. And that kind of continues where you realize that, that Jonas is just doing what he thinks is in the best interest of his side. And as the series progresses, it just so happens to align with what the heroes want as well. But he's still a manipulative snake. <laughs> and I kind of love him as a character. He's really fun to write. But he's our manipulative snake now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's there's there's an entire scene in the third book where he's uh he's like um I, th I think he's like in, in his mid-30s and he's in this room with um some of these characters that are like two centuries old, have all the experience, the, the tech level is is higher than his, his side as well. And he's just playing them all like fiddles. <laughs> Give us some Loki vibes there. There you go. All right. Nice one, Crown. So, Nick, what about yeah. you? I know you've made some doozies for villains. You and I have had these conversations, but let's share it with the audience this time. Ooh, wow. Yeah, there's there's quite a bit. Um, one that sticks out is uh, Bloodfeather who will appear in Corvid and Sparrow later next year. Um, and what drives him, what turns him kind of into a bad guy is the unrequited love. Um, and that drives him nuts. So that's kind of his, uh, that's definitely his main motivation is to everything that she cares and loves about or cares and loves and, you know, takes a, uh, takes to heart he wants to destroy he wa he wants her to feel the pain he felt when he felt like he was betrayed so he he goes off the rails and he does some pretty pretty jacked up stuff to these characters so when we used to ask the question if they one of these characters would meet me in the in the alleyway what would they do because i created blood feather they'd beat the living shit out of me so um yeah he, he's just fun to write because he's a. Uh, any like intrusive thought you've ever had, you can put into him and act it out, you know, and makes for good storytelling. So, a very cathartic villain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like you, like once you read it, you're gonna be like, I get him. I mean, he's obviously bad shit, but I get it. <laughs> so, who hasn't had, you know, had a crush on somebody or you know, love somebody, and they just didn't feel the same way you know makes you makes you want to kick a puppy so i mean don't kick a puppy that's your psa today people don't kick puppies uh, so i'm in a unique position because most of the bad guys in the world i've written and because i wrote in other people's universe using their established characters i didn't create those characters so i used them sure readers enjoyed them absolutely i don't claim credit so for me my favorite most of the villains i've made at this point of stuff that's already been published because I got a bunch of stuff in the queue um, would be from a short story I, I wrote because that's, you know, all my independent content is short stories, like no question. Um, I wrote a story called Ishtar's Rising. It was basically the premise of Iraq War III, uh, Black Hawk Down situation. I when, the, when they basically explode the helicopter so you leave nothing for the bad guys, it opens an underground pit in the uh, exposing a cavern uh, and they find a spaceship buried. And uh, if you haven't read this short story, spoilers, okay, but it opens, there's a spaceship hidden, and it turns out all of the old guards of Samaria were uh, were aliens. And so the bad guy I created was from that Ishtar. Um, was the bad, I mean, she existed in history as a goddess, and the other ones did too. But the way I used them, I felt like was unique, and I had fun with it. Um, and I also... The opening of that story involved some uh, some road rage combat stuff from um, the MSR, so it was like a particularly bad PTSD day. So I just vented my spleen 
into that story and it was pretty well received. Um, all I needed to go full Hemingway was a bottle of scotch. Yeah, you should always go full Hemingway. That's how I live my life, man. They say never go full Hua. You never go full Hua. Yeah, never go full Hua. You'll, you, I just lost like 10 brain cells just saying that word. So. <laughs> all right, Nick, you had some, uh, some questions as well to move the, uh, the story along. Um, so what were yours? Because I know you like this topic as well. Oh, I'm a huge fan of the villains. Um, I like the bad guy. Um, I think, so I guess the question would be when you're writing your villain, um, for those of us that wrote villains, what do you think the main, um, trying to phrase it properly. Uh, God, now my brain's going stupid. So the main motivation of the villain or trait yeah what, what do you do you use the same trait for every villain or do you tweak it do you do you how much time do you spend on the villain you know to come up with these traits that makes him the bad guy well it depends that on my goal sense. for that particular character you know okay. if i i want them to be someone the reader utterly despises then I'm not going to hold back. Like I, I wrote this one scene and a un, so far unpublished novel is the darkest thing I've written, but to really nail home the point, this guy is the bad guy. The one of the protagonist to gray hero characters, he's kind of like scrying through the eye of a little bird, you know, pretty little bird, little, Tit mouse or something like that, a little sparrow. Tit. Yes, I'm a child. Uh, just flitting about this thing, and he catches it, and so he's like monologuing into the eye of this bird. And to drive home the point, he takes his thumb and digs out the eye of the little bird. So I'm like, well, this guy is just pure and utter evil, and I have just conveyed that. Uh, if I'm going for a comedic villain, I hearken back to the more one-dimensional and like do the whole monologue crap and that kind of fun stuff, you know, just to chew the scenery for the heck of chewing the scenery. Or if I want a relatable villain, I, I go for the one Jacob keeps uh, talking about. Like he is the hero in his view. He is doing the right thing and he is motivated by doing the right thing. It's just what he thinks is the right thing runs counter just about everybody else in the story. So it, it, it really just depends on what goal I need this villain to accomplish, basically. I like that. Yeah, it definitely, uh, you know, varies uh, for me depending on what kind of villain I'm trying to create and, you know, what the role the villain is playing in the story. Obviously, you know, an antagonistic force for the, the you know the the heroes to overcome but um and also what kind of reaction do i want from the reader um you know for example um yeah i have a, a a villain in a work that i'm wor working on right now and uh it's like okay how can i make the reader despise this guy as fast as possible and, and the guy's a vampire. So I came up with the idea that he uh, um, volunteers at an animal rescue shelter. Oh, no, not the dog. So that he can take home these poor animals and suck their blood. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think this will make readers hate this guy. Well, they're probably going to want to hate you too, bud. Yeah, you're going for number one on that. There, I thought you were get worse than that. I mean, if he's a vampire, that's better than eating people. I thought he was going to take home and just abuse them. Wait, wait, Jacob. I know you're a smart and educated man. Was this an allegory or an analog for the IRS? Uh, no. Okay. What? <laughs> All right. Um, and everything has. The IRS, are they in the room with us right now? Probably. Mm, I mean, they're listening. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know. I, I'm team needs of the story and then go from there, but make it believable. Uh, that is horrible, man. I mean, it, it'll it make you hate the, the villain really quick. But if I was reading, I'd be like, 
I'm going to find this Jacob Hollow. I'm going to shake him. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things. It's like the line between <laughs> villain and author. You know, this came from the guy that wrote it. I don't know why I'm talking so much smack. I just said earlier that it made you so mad you wanted to kick a puppy. So, <laughs> I mean, that's all, probably all, all I'm hearing is that I'm doing my job well. That's all I hear from you. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm hearing, Jacob? If our therapist read any of the stuff we wrote, we might be in a padded cell. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, thinking I'm Batman, all the orderlies are but, my rogues. Category. But for, for the most part, when, when I'm uh, designing a villain, I am, you know, I do kind of like to take the, the approach that they, they are a hero of an, in a, from, from their own perspective. And, you know, like I, I touched on earlier, you know, they're tragic heroes that no matter what they do, no matter all the advantages that they have against the hero, no matter everything that they throw at this guy, they can't stop him. And, uh, I have a lot of fun when, when I write villains that way. Um, I, I tend to have less fun when I write the, the villains, you know, the love to hate villains. Yeah, man, I, I had this one. I, I despised the character just as much as the readers despise this guy. And I was so glad when I killed him off. <laughs> I was like, yes, I never have to write this character again. It's catharsis for you and the viewer and the reader. I think one of the, my biggest problem is, is I keep writing the sympathetic villain or the relatable villain, which I guess that's kind of a blurred line. Um, it drives me nuts. And I, I, I try to make the guy because he's, I try to make a villain that's pure evil and I still end up writing him, giving him some sort of little nuance where even the reader's like, yeah, I can see that. I could even see that in myself. And like, any, anybody else have that problem? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, that's why I turn the spiders good, frankly. I literally set out to write just a, a cut and dry, straightforward. Here's a bad thing to fight. Yeah. You know, the, the, the robot foot clan and Ninja Turtles or the disposable henchmen or whatever. But, oh, wait, this one's actually still alive and it's a mama and don't hurt the mama. And she's just looking out for her brood and Oh damn sympathy got in. So now we have spider rebels and an even bigger villain who's controlling all of them. So, oh, well. you know, that's yeah. how that goes. Okay. Well, uh, mine. I wanted to avoid scarecrow snidely whiplash types. And I ended up, um, Making with Grendel, first Lord of the Northlands in Battle for the Wastelands, I made a character some people view as a protagonist or like better than the hero. And in Thing in the Woods, the villain is um, a cult leader, basically. He's basically like a store brand version of a grand wizard. Ooh, like that type of grand wizard? Kind of, only they worship a minor Lovecraftian abomination out in the woods. Oh, okay. I love cults. So cult leader. Yeah. Yeah. Does yeah, he have Kool-Aid? No. Damn. And I have a novella called Little People, Big Guns. The, villain, the villain's true identity is kind of a surprise, so I'll leave it. Now, this is an individual who loves animals in probably a not healthy way. Ooh. It's okay to love your pet, Sue. As not opposed okay to, to some of the other pets. villains in their group who just hate people. Yeah, I relate. I like pets better than people most days. So speaking of pets, people, and, and humanity, that does beggar the question, when they make the alien, the other, the monster, the bad guy, are they truly the bad guy if they're following their innate biological yeah. nature? So like the alien where it's just trying to live? I mean, sure. Yeah, it's, it's alien. alien pets, yeah. But it, it's just following its biological imperatives. Well, that brings the question is like, is that necessarily villain or are we talking monster or are we talking like force of nature? You know, how, how, how are we defining villain in that aspect? It's like, yes, it is a bad thing from our perspective because it's, you know, bursting out of chests and procreating via our bodies and things like that, that, you know, that whole horrific body horror scenario. 
but are we rationalizing with it? Can you, you, you can't talk with an alien. You need a, you know, a mech loader. Well, in, kind of dial well in, in aliens, doesn't Ripley bluff the queen by threatening to burn her eggs? But again, that goes back to biological yeah. imperative. But I mean, so true. I mean, the I mean, the the alien the xenomorphs are monsters you have to kill because they're going to eat you or breed your corpse or whatever. But they're in terms of immoral behavior, it seems to be the, the Wayland Utani people who are really bad. Exactly. Yeah, the corporation, the the evil corporation. Okay. And I'd say in, in you know in, in, in the aliens you know franchise, yeah, Wayland Utani, they're they're the villains, but you know, the aliens, they're the monsters. And you know, what once you go into you know the the, the, the creature feature stuff and whatnot, it's you, you've I, I think I feel you've stepped outside of you know the the broad category of villain and then gone over into the monster category. I mean, there. then then you get the predator. They are knowingly hunting sapient beings as opposed to just animals. And in, you get into alien versus predator. Like, let's create a whole civilization to serve as xenomorph hosts, so we can have more aliens to hunt. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the more you think about it, the more blatantly villainous the Predators are. Except they kind of have the honor code thing. Well, I think the uh, the Predators, they've got a, a foot in both camps. They, they're villains and they're monsters. They, they, they kind of serve both purposes. Sometimes they're heroes. Depending on which movie you're watching or what book you're reading. Uh, or comic. The comics have been really good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So obviously, you know, we're at time. I promised the guests that we would try to keep it to an hour. We have a lot of room to dive deeper into this one. Um, I think the lesson we learned here is everyone needs to think more about villains because, you know, we've all been like, oh man, I didn't really think of it that way. And there's, this shows there's room for this conversation to evolve and develop. So we would like you, dear listener, dear viewer, to join us in the comment section. Uh, and if you've got strong feelings, uh, you could send us an audio recording, which we could play, and then you could join it that way and we'll respond. I can get these guests back. Uh, you could come on the show. Not everyone who comes on the show has to be an author or a creator of any kind. Uh, but I definitely think we want to come back to this discussion at some point uh, with more thought thoughtfulness. I think we just all assumed we knew what we were going to say and it'd be easy peasy. And the more we talked about it, the more you realize the line in fiction between monster and villain between villain and you know just an antagonist gets murky and i definitely think that's something we should explore uh and it will be fun to do so again so like i said we need you to join the conversation and with that being said i am going to let our guests in uh, introduce themselves tell us where we can find them and as usual all of the links will be in the show notes so jacob can you tell listeners where they can find you uh you can find my books at uh amazon uh under jacob hollow uh Goring Division series with uh, David Weber, uh, Barnes and Noble, places like that. Okay. Oh, what about you, Pimmon? Uh, you can find all of my stuff linked on uh, www.halfacrepond.com. That's got links to Felix, uh, to Pandora Squad, to True Tales of Elliot Shaw, all my paperbacks and uh, web serials that I'm currently running. So you can find it all on Half Acre. All right. And uh, Winnie the Pooh is not on his acre. He's on the other acre. So yeah. He's in the 500 acre wood. Well, I mean, Pittman's on a budget, all right? He can't afford all those woods yet. Give him time. Oh, it's a pond. It's a half acre size. It's got a giant statue head in it, and the guy's fishing on it. Are you it's fishing? Got a pond. Not yet. Not yet. Love ponds. So buy his book so he can get a bigger pond, people. That's right. Need a bigger all right. Fish. And Matthew, where can they find you online? And as usual, links are in the comments. Or, okay, or well, search Matthew W. Quinn on Amazon. You'll find my Amazon author page with all sorts of goodies you can buy. And I have a substat called The World According to Quinn. Okay. And free, I get, you know, you, you get um two free emails per month if you subscribe. And I have a, a third email for my paying subscribers only. Okay. 
All right, I'm making a note to make sure I have your sub stack because I don't think that was around when we did it before. You can find us, dear listener, on our own interweb sites where all the cool kids hang out over on Linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, Linktree slash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, Linktree slash Blasters and Blades podcast where we link to the bitch shoots, the rumbles, the Twitters, our email for serious business inquiries only, our Blasters and Blades Facebook group and Facebook page. And finally, Madam Stabby Stabs, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and email address where all the funny shenanigans and hate mail can be sent. She apologizes for um, the allergies uh, punching her in the face, but she will be back soon, we promise. In uh, the face. In the face. Uh, she will be back soon, I promise, and she will respond if you decide to join the conversation, if you're brave enough. Uh, you can find us on our website at anchor.fm slash blasters, blades. Again, anchor.fm slash blasters, blades. Where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on. Or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Uh, be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast. Uh, and we will I will make sure it gets to the uh, show for overhead. Uh, these shows aren't free to produce, and we appreciate every penny you throw our way. Or if you want to get something out of it besides listening to us um, go and ramble intelligently about all the cool topics, you could support us by hopping over to the link in the show notes for Coffee Brand Coffee, where you follow the link and use the code Podcast Grunts, and you get 10% off. And you're supporting an American-made business with an American-made product, and you're getting good caffeine. And who doesn't like good coffee? Coffee, tea, hot chocolate, sugars, snacks, sugar snacks. I guess that's redundant. They're basically the same thing, uh, at least the good ones. And uh, we will go from there. We appreciate your support, though. So thank you for that. Uh, and some of you that have ordered the coffee, you should uh, write back and tell us whether you actually liked it. I see that some of you actually have ordered. So so report back in. Tell us if you like it, too, or if Stabby and I are just weird addicts to caffeine and will like anything. Uh, Short answer is yes. Short answer is yes. Uh, but we want to hear from you. So that's part of the fun. We do this to not talk to ourselves. We do that with a mirror. We don't need to do that on air. We do it to talk to you, dear listener, and we would like you to join the conversation. With that being said, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For my crazy and caffeinated co-host, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blaze podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And we would like to thank our esteemed panel for coming with us. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, it has been a blast. And if you have hung out this long, Nick, do you want to hear the good news? Yeah, oh, I, I love good news. We uh, we have started a partnership with Three Ravens Publishing, and as of season four, they're working on producing for us a new logo to update it. Because, and I quote, what? "Our age has ended, Jr., and you need to join modernity." <laughs> so they will be getting us a cool kind of kick-ass new logo that will go on all the merch. And uh, speaking of merch, Nick is working on designing some for the art uh, to, you know, help support the show. Cause some people, you know, feel like charity is charity and they want to get something out of it. And we want to give you the opportunity to buy the stuff. Speaking of buying yeah. the stuff, the Amazon link for all of these fine authors is here. Linked in the show notes, click on it, buy their books, read their books, review their books. It all helps. And with that being said, I'm finally going to hit the end button. Doo, doo, doo.